Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. Traditionis Custodis is the biggest story of the year in the church, possibly the biggest story since Francis's ascension to the throne of Peter, or at the very least since Archbishop Vigano released his testimony three years ago, I believe to this day. And it's a story that won't go away. Now we have some details about the man who likely wrote, or at least had, the ear of the Pope during the writing of Traditionis Custodis, and he is quite the character. So let's meet him today, and I'll also reiterate that the document is a delayed banning of the traditional liturgy, and I know some are skeptical of that reading of it, so I'll explain it briefly in this video after we get to meet the person we're talking about today. The man I am introducing you to is Andrea Grillo. He's a professor of sacramental theology and the philosophy of religion at the Pontifical Athenaeum of St. Anselm in Rome, and of liturgy in Padua at the Abbey of Santa Giustina. So this is someone who is occupying extremely high places in Rome-approved education institutions of the church. He has the official sanction of the church and has had it for quite some time, predating Francis. He has become a more important figure in Catholic thought even than before. There are indications that uh, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski has uh, revealed that he is an author or at least an inspiration for Traditionis Custodis and has served as Francis's house liturgist and theologian. And he's actually called that in Rome. So that is who we're going to be talking about today. So again, let's get to uh, meet the, this man because this is a he's quite the character if you want to get an idea of just how good the hands of the church has been in just how secure the future education of seminarians has been in Italy take a look at the public positions this professor has taken on matters most pertinent to our times in the church on that issue that we are forced to refer to as the James Martin issue and its twisted parody of the nuptial sacrament, Professor Grillo co-authored a book on just that topic called Can a Mother Not Bless Her Own Children? I can't say the name of the rest of that book, but it provides what he considers a quote-unquote theological basis for the pastoral and theological blessing of that parody of the nuptial sacrament involving sins that cry out to heaven that Pastor Jimmy Martin of the Jesuit Church is just so enamored with. And according to Professor Griot, in his own mind, this can be okayed by the church. Again, this is the man who says that the Latin Mass is divisive. He rejects the dogma of transubstantiation. And when I say rejects, he just unequivocally rejects it, meaning he's a formal heretic meaning that, strictly speaking, he's not even a Catholic. Public rejection of a dogma of the church places one outside of the church, and at least in theory means someone who holds an ecclesiastical office in the church loses that position, since only a Catholic can be a bishop of the church, or so the theological theory goes, or a priest or any of the other things, although he's not a member of the clergy. His reasoning for rejecting transubstantiation is because it rejects metaphysics. That's another heresy, the subjection of theology to the science of the day. That is a formally rejected idea by Pope St. Pius X in his encyclical Pascendi. So, again, Professor Griot is a public a formal heretic. But wait, that's not all. Professor Griot wants the church to open up ordination to, uh, shall we say, everyone the world wants us to open it up to, 
even though John Paul II allegedly closed the door to the ordination of our sisters forever. He also advocates for using means to prevent growth of families that the church has said is a rejection of the will of God. Again, we have to tread carefully here, but he goes further and says the church has no authority to speak authoritatively on issues related to the nuptial sacrament and the nuptial act at all, which is mind-blowing. And this is the man who advised Francis on the Latin Mass, and was probably the ghost writer for his document, because, as I'll explain here shortly, popes almost never write their own documents. It's just not something that has been historically something done by pontiffs. So, with all that in mind, let's see what his role was in formulating Traditionis Custodis. From the newly revamped and improved 1 Peter 5, we get this piece from Dr. Kwasniewski, which really shines a light on the situation and gives us a hint about where these things are going. And his critique is of the new Mass as well, specifically in attempts to make it reverent. Those so-called unicorn new Masses. So this isn't just the traditional Latin Mass here. Dr. Griot and presumably Francis want those done away with as well. And we have seen some movement in that area. This is a long quote that I'm about to give you, but it is worth it. Quote, In an open letter dated March 27, 2020, a full 16 months prior to the motu proprio, Professor Griot, along with 180 signatories, boldly described that the traditional Latin Mass as, quote, closed in the historical past, inert and crystallized, lifeless and without vigor, there can be no resuscitation for it, continuing to nourish a state of liturgical exception, one that was born to unite but does nothing but divide, only leads to the shattering, privatization, and distortion of the worship of the church. Furthermore, the letter by the professor puts forth the following. The intention of Samorum Pontificum was pacification and reconciliation. Unfortunately, Samorum Pontificum led to division, conflict, and a liturgical rejection of the Second Vatican Council. Certain seminaries where both the Novus Ordo Missae and the traditional Latin Mass are expected to be learned represent the, quote, greatest distortion of the initial intentions, end quote, of Samorum Pontificum. It is time for the abolition of the, quote, state of liturgical exception, end quote, introduced by Samorum Pontificum. All powers concerning the liturgy must be restored to diocesan bishops and to the congregation for divine worship. This has multiple implications. A, the Ecclesia Dei Commission in Section 4 of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith with Authority over Liturgical Matters must be terminated. B, the CDF has been acting as a substitute in exercising competences either conferred on bishops by the Second Vatican Council or ordinarily entrusted to the Congregation for the Divine Worship by the Pope. This irregular situation must end. C. The CDF has undertaken to elaborate liturgical variants of the ordines without having the historical, textual, philological, and pastoral competences. D. The CDF seems to ignore, precisely on the dogmatic level, a grave conflict that arises between the Lex Rondi and the Lex Credendi, since it is inevitable that a dual, conflictual ritual form will lead to a significant division in the faith. E. The CDF seems to underestimate the disruptive effect this reservation will have on the ecclesia ecclesial level by shielding a part of the community from the quote-unquote school of prayer that the Second Vatican Council and the liturgical reform have providentially given to the common ecclesial journey. 
It is clear from reading Griot's Italian articles online that he considers the liturgical reform to have been, on the whole, very good. That the major obstacles to its success has been a regrettable tendency for clergy and laity to maintain or reintroduce bad practices or resources from the past that get in the way of the reformed rites shining forth in their clean lines and new orientations. That a preoccupation with quote-unquote liturgical misuses on the part of John Paul II and Benedict XVI and the curial officials they appointed did nothing but reassert a Tridentine legalistic mentality that threatened to quench the openness to adaptation and freedom characteristic of the Novus Ordo. Indeed, he says expressly that it is more important to advance the quote-unquote use of an active communal liturgy than to correct liturgical errors, since the latter effort reflects a superseded vision of a worship as a clerical box-checking exercise and that the parallel existence of the traditional Mass as well as the Ratzingerian reform of the Reform Movement threaten the integrity of the Reformed Rite as given by Paul VI. End quote. So not only does he want to do away with the traditional Latin Mass, the Mass codified by Pope St. Pius V, but one that predates St. Pius V by a thousand years, Professor Griot wants to do away with the so-called reverent Novus Ordo Masses, that liturgical errors and twisting of the liturgy into folksy, worldly, secular rites is exactly what he wants. That's astonishing. But given everything I've told you about him, and given what I know about the state of uh, most parish life in Italy, don't be surprised by it in the slightest. On the day Traditionis Custodis re released, he, Professor Grio was triumphant over the news that Francis had acted. On the very day, July 16th, as if he knew it was coming down the pike, because of course he did, because he probably helped write the thing. Here's a little historic information for you. Very few, if any, popes in the last few centuries have written their own encyclicals, letters, or speeches. Don't be surprised by that, since these are very precise documents, and need to be carefully constructed to avoid confusion. Except for Traditionis Custodis, which everyone across the board admits was written by someone with a poor grasp of theology. But look at his triumphal tone in this statement. Again, quoting Dr. Kwasniewski, quote, In an article published at the blog Comse Non on July 16, 2021, again, how prompt, and then published in English at LaCroix International on July 19th, from Supreme Pontiffs to Guardians of Tradition, the vicissitudes of the Roman Rite, Grillo does not hide his triumphant glee about the motu proprio that his own thinking helped create. Concerning the much-criticized claim in Article 1 that, quote, the liturgical books promulgated by St. Paul VI and St. John Paul II in conformity with the decrees of Vatican Council II are the unique, correctly sole expression of the Lex Orandi of the Roman Rite, Grillo comments, this radically supplants the bold sophistry on which Samorum Pontificum stood, namely the parallel coexistence of two ritual forms which contradict each other, the reestablishment of a single valid form of the Roman Rite is the only horizon on which it is possible to build peace. Every other hypothesis, however well-intentioned, creates growing divisions and misunderstandings. End quote. It goes on and on like that. This is the man behind the Latin Mass band, the one who says that Benedict XVI was engaged in sophistry when he was liberalizing the access to the traditional liturgy. It's just astonishing to see. Now, like I said in the intro, I'd explain how 
this was a Latin mass ban and not just restriction, certainly not just giving control back to the bishops. The point of the motu proprio is that we are all supposed to return to the Novus Ordo and participate in irreverent clown masses where we consume our Lord in the hand like our blessed Lord is a potato chip. That's the big plan they have. It's in the document, and it's in the accompanying letter. The steps to get there are in paragraph 6, article 4, where it says a, that new priests who are given faculties to say the traditional liturgy who are ordained after the 16th of July, 2021, says, quote, Article 4, priests ordained after the publication of the present motu proprio who wish to celebrate using the Masali Romanum of 1962 should submit a formal request to the diocesan bishop who shall consult the apostolic see before granting this authorization, end quote. The bishop has to get permission from Rome before a priest ordained after July 16th, 2021 can say the traditional liturgy. Do you really honestly think Rome will give that permission? Francis intends to be there for a long, long time, and he intends to make sure that he is succeeded by a man just like him on the throne of Peter. He has appointed 60% of the men who will participate in the next conclave who will choose his successor, and that percentage will only increase the longer he is the presumed pontiff. Don't pay too much heed to those rumors that his recent procedure left him with a very short amount of time left either. He acts as if he has limited time, but clearly his intention is to be around for the long haul. Something Dom Alcuin Reed said in his review of a book that Grillo wrote comes to mind. Here he says that when people get a basic understanding of what is happening on the altar, they either find themselves going to a Latin Mass or to a reverent Novus Ordo. Those forms of the liturgy that inevitably bring in Tridentine Mass practices that had otherwise fallen by the wayside. Quote, what I think is self-evident, however, is that the overwhelming majority of contemporary celebrations of the sacred liturgy, and not only Holy Mass, according to the Usus Antiquor, evince a level of formation and true liturgical participation, which with the fathers of the 20th century liturgical movement, and indeed of the Second Vatican Council, would be utterly delighted. Participatio Actuosa is perhaps no more evident than in such celebrations. This may be a providential fruit of the post-conciliar prescription of these rites. People have had to invest and sacrifice substantially in order to have access to them. People frequenting them have had a long and at times costly liturgical formation. Perhaps also it is due to the very demands they place on the worshiper. One has to find ways of connecting with these rites, or indeed of allowing them to connect with us because of their ritual complexity." End quote. Again, that was Dom Alcuin Reed in his review of Griot's book that was on the subject of getting, quote-unquote, past Pius V's Mass, which would require a rejection of, quote, primum itself, by the way. But that's another story for another time. In light of all this, a new narrative is coming to the surface, that the problem isn't the liturgy of St. Pius V and St. Gregory the Great. The problem is with the ideologies attached to it. And what they mean by that are attempts by laity and traditional clergy to bring back the social reign of Christ the King without the guidance of the church, which overtly scrapped the very concept of the social reign of Christ the King after the Second Vatican Council. As evident in the famous discourse between Archbishop Lefebvre and Cardinal Ratzinger, where Ratzinger acted as if the concept of the social reign of Christ the King was utterly alien to him. But this concept, the reign of Christ the King and then rejecting it and smearing anyone attached to it, is now the new talking point that's emerging. And the best example of that comes from the National Catholic Reporter, 
where that, you know, that hyper out modernist outlet that has been told by the U.S. bishops to cease calling itself a Catholic organization. And they have chosen to ignore the commands of the bishops, the same bishops who grant their reporters interviews, by the way. Most curious practice by, uh, in that, if the bishops have told them to cease calling themselves Catholic, but the National Catholic Reporter still calls itself that, but they still give them interviews. So it's a very strange situation. But a piece titled, The Traditional Latin Mass is Not the Problem with Traditionalist Communities, by Rebecca Broughton Weiss, she makes this point, saying that the ideologies attached to the Latin Mass are the problem. Quote, the issue is not fundamentally that traditionalists question Francis's authority or push back against a decree they find excessive. A certain amount of questioning and pushback should always be welcome in a healthy faith group. End quote. She then cites as evidence the defense of Middle Ages military defenses of the faithful in the Holy Land and attempts to secure their homes and lands by the faithful, as well as rejecting the evangelization done by the Spanish in the 16th century and repeating the lies about the church in Canada that made the news this past June. With fellow Catholics like these, who needs the man of sin, right? They'll do his work for him, and in this bizarre and increasingly paranoid world we live in, they will do it for him. I could go on and on with this article, but I'm not going to. Instead, the man who wrote the motu proprio for Francis is quite the character, and he's setting things up for the next thing that's coming down, both with his rhetoric and with his influence. I'm sure you'd agree on all that, but what else is there to say about him? Personally, I wonder what other machinations he has in store for us. Solid sources in Rome say more action against the Latin Mass is coming, and that is only a matter of time until Francis acts against it in a more permanent and immediate way. What that'll look like is anyone's guess, and I hesitate to repeat those rumors, so instead I'll tell you to offer extra prayers for the Latin Mass communities and to cease feeding into the intra-trad battles that go on over the various priestly fraternities. It's time to stop with all that stuff, really it is. But that's my opinion. What do you think about the story? Let me know your thoughts in the comments below, and like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.